Hi there, and welcome to the media ministry of River Bible Church. I'm Pastor Dustin Daniels, inviting you to visit our website to download today's sermon notes. You can sign up for our newsletter and also submit a prayer request. We would love to pray for you and answer any questions that you may have. For more information, visit riverbible.org. Now let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. Well, if you would, please turn in your Bibles to to Matthew chapter 5 as we continue our study uh, in the Gospel of Matthew here. If you don't have a Bible or if you would like a new Bible, we got some in the back there by the audiovisual booth. That's our gift to you. And since I've been slacking here over the last several weeks, let me um, let us get let me get you back up to speed. Let me do a, a quick review here. As we study the Sermon on the Mount, specifically really looking at the first 10 verses called the Beatitudes. And by the way, I want you all to know this. I did not plan on preaching a complete sermon on each Beatitude. Um, And I... I, (laughs) Security, please. (laughs) Lou, I've only been up here for two minutes, man. Yeah, no, he, he's, he's, he's not Sandy. Well, um, no, I, I re- Lou, I didn't. I, I, I didn't. But I, I think that's cool because um, I'm reminded of the, the depth and the width of God's word. And I wanted to share this with you before we got started. In, in Romans 11, the Apostle Paul says this. He actually breaks out in song. Romans 11:33. he says, oh, oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments, untraceable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? In other words, who tells the Lord God anything? Who has ever given to God that he should be repaid And in verse 36, for from him and it's through him and to him are are all things. And to him be the glory forever and ever. And I I love that because it just shows how deep and wide God's word is. That hymn of praise that the Apostle Paul, what he just proclaimed there is why our mission here at River Bible Church is to experience God verse by verse so that we can share Jesus day by day. See, the more we learn about Jesus, the more compelled we are, the more willing we are to share Jesus in this broken world. And even though I wasn't planning on preaching uh, at this pace throughout the Beatitudes, God obviously has the prerogative to change my preaching schedule. Um, And I'm glad, and I I pray that you guys are receiving everything that the Lord is, is teaching you through this series So let me get us up to speed here over the past month. Let me review the first several Beatitudes here before we dive in. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And we, we talked about how to be poor in spirit is to recognize your spiritual poverty apart from God. Verse 3 is about seeing yourself as you truly are. The, the reality of being lost and broken and, and helpless and, and hopeless 
all apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Apart from Jesus, every single one of us is spiritually bankrupt. Apart from Jesus, we're all headed on this very broad road to a very real place called hell. So how how do we get off that road? How, How do we find the exit that leads to the narrow road so we can turn around and repent? How do we do that? Well, Jesus said in Matthew 7, 14, that few find it. There are very few who actually find the narrow road. But Jesus also gave us specific directions how to, how to find the narrow road within the Beatitudes. And in verse 4, he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So in other words, Jesus is saying, happy are those who are sad. The poor in spirit in verse 3 become those who mourn in verse 4. Because spiritual poverty, it leads to a spiritual sadness. And guys, that's a very, very good thing. There is a type of human sadness that leads us to divine happiness. Jesus taught us that if we want to travel that narrow road, we have to mourn over our personal sin. We we must understand that our sin has offended a holy God. And that offense has eternal consequences. Our sin has broken the relationship that mankind had back in Genesis chapter 2. And that brokenness is a one-way street. So there's, there's no way for us to right that wrong. Only God can make it right. So mourning our sin, it does something to our being. It, it changes the very spiritual composition of who we are. And one of those changes... We find that in verse 5. Blessed are the humble or the meek. Your translation may say the gentle. For they will inherit the earth. See, a meek person seeks the glory of God above everyone and everything else. A humble person has these priorities. God first, God second, God third. In other words, the child of God, what he does is he pursues meekness and he strives for humility. Meekness is the picture of someone getting low to lift the the other person up. In verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and we thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Righteousness refers to a right thinking that leads to right actions, right? We as sinners, we must conform to, to God's standard of what is morally right God's standard is the Bible. And we, once again, as sinners, we're either to the, to the left of that or to the right of it. And God moves us to the center over our lifetime. And it's in that process of God conforming us and changing us where we learn God's definition of happiness. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Uh, mercy helps the helpless. Mercy is compassion in action. Mercy is both a gift from, uh, to us from God, but it's also a requirement from us. So as God gives us the mercy, it's almost like a funnel. God gives us mercy, and then we are to extend that same mercy out. So that brief review, it brings us to verse 8 today. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now guys... This statement is one of the the greatest promises, if not the greatest promise 
from our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says, if we're pure in heart, we're going to see God himself. Now, how is that possible? When God showed up in the Old Testament, he would show up in what's called a theophany. Theo meaning God. Phanon means to appear, a theophany. Now, those moments were few and far between. But when God did show up, everybody thought they were going to die. In fact, that's what God tells Moses, right? Exodus 33, 20. God tells Moses, look, Moses, you can't see my face. For humans, a.k.a. sinners, you can't see me and live. The same thing happened with angels. Most of the time, when, when angels spoke to humans, the humans freaked out, and they thought they were dead. So this idea of, of seeing God was terrifying, It meant instant death, especially to the Jew. So how can Jesus make this kind of promise? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Well, let's find out. If you would, please stand for the reading and the honoring of God's word. I'm going to start in verse 1 of chapter 5 to give us the full context here. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And this is the word of the Lord for River Bible Church this morning. Thanks, guys. Please have a seat. take a look at verse 8 here. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So blessed, once again, in Greek is makarios. It literally means happy and blessed, but it also means carefree. It means fortunate all at the same time. So we could translate this verse, happy are the pure in heart. Now, as a reminder here, our definition of happiness, it differs from God. So what we have to do is we have to adjust our worldly definition to his. Blessed, this idea of being blessed, it implies that there is an inward satisfaction in my heart that does not depend on the outward circumstances that go around me. As Christians, we are settled. There is a foundation of Christ and Christ alone. We are secure in him and the blessings that come from him. 1 John 4, 4 says, the one who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So this idea of blessing, who, who are those that are blessed? Blessed are the pure. Purity, katharos in the Greek, we get our word catharsis from it. Catharsis is to purify our minds and our emotions. We've got cathartic medicine, it's, it's used for purifying the body. 
The Latin version of pure is castus. We get our word chaste or chastity from that. And when we think of chastity, many of us, we see a, a beautiful a picture of a beautiful bride in a white dress who is uncontaminated. She is undefiled. We also get chasten. To chasten someone, however, is to cleanse from inappropriate or, or sinful behavior. So let me give you a real simple definition of purity. Purity, it means to purge from filth. Purity means to purge from filth. So for something to be pure, it means that there are no contaminants in it. There, there's nothing mixed into it. So let me give you a couple of examples. Purity is the reason that premium gasoline is more expensive than 87 octane. Purity is this idea that, that you're going to pay more at the grocery store for extra virgin olive oil. When it comes to our spiritual life, purity emphasizes that, our, that all this psychobabble, all this pop psychology coming at us, that the ever-changing values of the world, and especially on sexuality, they, they don't get mixed into our theology. Psalm 12, 6. The words of the Lord are pure words. Like silver refined in an earthen furnace purified seven times. Each time that metal is, is purified, right? The heat gets turned up. The impurities, what, what they do is they rise to the top. And those impurities are then separated from the metal itself. And the longer that we walk with the Lord, the more separated we become from the world. Uh, the worldly things that we used to tolerate become less and less tolerable over time. We've all seen those bumper stickers that, that say tolerance, spelled out with different religious symbols, right? It's quite clever uh, worldly marketing scheme, but the reality as Christians, guys, we will not tolerate lies and truth. We will not tolerate that. Why? Proverbs 3, 5 says it well. Uh, excuse me, 30, verse 5. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. I love this, Psalm 119, 140. Your word is completely, in other words, your word is exceedingly pure. And oh, how your servant loves it. Your servant loves your word because it is pure it is truth wrapped up in grace. So the question now becomes, pure in what? Back to verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart. The pure in heart, heart translates cardia. We get cardiac from it. The physical heart is the source of life. No heartbeat. Big problem, right? Nobody signs up for a cardiac arrest. But Jesus is not talking about our physical hearts here in verse 8. He's talking about our spiritual life. The heart is also known as the center of our emotions, our feelings, our motives, our attitudes. So in other words, the heart represents the inner person. Jesus said this in Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart. Matthew twenty two thirty seven, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. 
Now, Jesus also cautions us in this same sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5 and 6. He says, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. (laughs) Jesus tells the religious leaders in Matthew 12, 34, he says, how can you guys speak of good things when you are evil? Wow. He goes on to say, for the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. What comes out of here comes from here, right? Matthew 15, 8, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Matthew 15, 18, what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart, and this is what defiles a person, for from the heart, listen to this list, from our hearts come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sorts of sexual immorality, Theft, false testimonies, which is lying, and slander. (laughs) So let's take a time out. Because at this point, we've got a question, right? How do we deal with the purity of our heart when Jesus, in, in all these other scripture places, all throughout the four gospels, he tells us how wicked our hearts are? What's going on here? Is Jesus contradicting himself? Did Matthew make an error writing this gospel? Let's take a deeper look here. And the reason that we we use more scripture is because scripture interprets scripture, right? Scripture interprets itself. So when you look at the Bible, the wickedness of the human heart, that is nothing new. From the very beginning of human history, we see the depravity of of man's hearts. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. This is right before the flood. When the Lord saw that human wickedness was widespread on the earth and that every inclination of the human mind, or your translation may say heart there, was nothing but evil all the time, the Lord regretted that he made man on earth and he was deeply grieved. Wow. God is grieved because of the condition of our hearts. We see the wickedness in the hearts of two brothers, Jacob and Esau, Genesis 27, 41. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing that his father gave him. And Esau determined in his heart that he's going to kill his brother Jacob. King Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes Ecclesiastes 9, 3, the hearts of people are full of evil and madness is in the hearts while they live. The prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is more deceitful than anything else. It is incurable. Who can understand it? <laughs> we say, wow, it's a good thing we don't struggle with this kind of stuff in the 21st century. <laughs> I mean, come on, guys, that was then and this is now. We don't have the same problems all these other guys had. Of course we do. Of course we do. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Just because we got iPhones doesn't mean that our hearts are are pure. 
So how do we reconcile what Jesus is saying in this beatitude compared to what we just read? How are we to be pure in heart when Jesus knows that we can't, we're not, and we will never be in this life? It's impossible. Even though we may try. I mean, we try to be a good person. When's the last time you went to the self-help section in the library or the, uh, the bookstore to be a better person? The problem, however, is that the answer to this question, it's not in education, it's not in politics, and it's not in social reform. The answer is in the gospel, which is the saving, salvific work of Jesus Christ. Because God knows we can't fix ourselves. The answer to our depraved, sin-stained hearts, it lies outside of us. And that's why God had to step down off his throne in heaven to become a man to fix our hearts. The most famous Bible verse in scripture is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world in this way that he gave. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, to judge the world. He did not come the first time to point his finger at you. No, he came to save the world through him. So how does Jesus save the world? How does he fix the problem with our hearts? John 3, 3, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. In verse 6, he says, Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. That's why we can't fix ourselves. So having a pure heart begins with being born again. Being born again consists of three things. Number one, repenting from your sin. We are to turn from our sin that we used to love so much and do a 180 degree turn and run into the arms of of God who we didn't really care about. We are to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that he was raised from the dead, Romans 10, 9. That's how we're born again. It's not about your good works. And it's only when a person is born again that he can and he will receive a new heart that prepares him for eternity. Ezekiel 36, 26. God writes through the prophet Zeke here and he says, I will give you a new heart. I'm going to give you a new spirit within you. I love this. I'm going to remove that heart of stone. And I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. This passage from Ezekiel is a promise of regeneration. Regeneration is this divine action when God transforms the life of a sinner into a saint. He's the one that does that. And it's only when the unregenerate man is born again that he will have a new heart and a new spirit. So to have a pure heart, that's where it starts, guys, to be born again. So back to our beatitude. We see the result of purity here. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. They're going to see God. Seeing God is the supreme blessing for God's people. From a church history standpoint, this is called the beatific vision. Theologically, it's the experience 
of beholding God's glory. We get to see the perfection of God. The Apostle Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 3.18. He says, we all, with unveiled faces, we're looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord, and we're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. So in other words, seeing God will be a continuous reality if you are born again. In other words, we will continue always seeing God. A more literal translation is that they shall be continuously seeing God for themselves. And there is no greater reward for a child of God than to see God himself. And when I say God, I'm talking specifically about the second person of the Trinity. That's Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 14, 9, the one who has seen me has seen the Father. God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, they are both spirits. And God, uh, God as the Son, as the second person of the Trinity, He has a specific role uh, within the Trinity because He's the only one who relates to us face to face because he does have a physical body. So back to verse 8, they, they will see God. It's only those who have a pure heart. It's only those who have been born again who will see God. Now guys, this is one of the most profound statements to ever come from the mouth of Jesus. To know and, and it should bring us great comfort in knowing that we will indeed see our Lord and our Savior with our own two eyes. Man, can you imagine that moment? How awesome is that moment going to be? There's a band called Mercy Me, and they wrote that song, I Can Only Imagine. We've all heard it. Lyrics go like this. I can only imagine what my eyes will see when your face is before me. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in all of you be still? Will I stand in your presence or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine when that day comes and I find myself standing in the sun. I can only imagine when, I, when all I will do is forever, forever worship you. That moment will happen very soon in all of our lives. But what about now? Because it's difficult being a Christian because God is invisible. We all struggle with this because, you know, that phrase, out of sight, out of mind. Have you ever wondered why you can't see God right now? At least one time in this lifetime. Some people argue that we have an ontological problem. Ontology is the study of being. Uh, things that are real, things that you can touch. Some say that the issue is because that we're physical and God is spirit. And that's the reason that we can't see God. And to a certain degree, that's true. 
Jesus said in John 4, 24, God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. But as God's creatures, it's true. We don't have the capacity. We don't have the ability to physically see the creator or the spiritual world around us. But the fact is that, that it's not just a, a, a being problem. It's not just an ontological problem. Meaning it's not just a problem with our eyes. The deficiency isn't with our vision. The deficiency is in our hearts. The reason that God will not allow himself to be physically seen by us is because our hearts right now are impure. We are fallen, sinful human beings. And God, on the other hand, is thrice holy. God the Father is holy. God the Son is holy. God the Holy Spirit is holy. And his mercy prevents us from seeing him because that would be instant death for us. Now let's pause for a second because we have to go, wait a second. You know, what about those times when the Old Testament characters, when they saw, they saw God in those theophanies? Well, that is a great question because what those men saw in the Old Testament when God showed up was not God. It was an outward manifestation of God. It was, in other words, it was a display. It was a demonstration of God's holiness. It was not the very essence of God himself. And in the very essence, that's what Jesus is talking about here in this beatitude. We get to see God for who he truly is, his actual being. Peter, James, and John, they saw a glimpse of Jesus' essence, didn't they? They saw it on the Mount of Transfiguration. Matthew 17, 2, Jesus was transfigured in front of them and his face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as light. Now that would have been a sight to see. But what did those men do during that transfiguration? They hit the ground screaming like little girls, didn't they? They were scared to death. Now I want you to think about it. If those men trembled before a theophany, or in that case, a Christophany, we can only imagine how terrifying it would be to see God, the face, uh, God face to face today. The Apostle John, he contemplates this thought in 1 John 3.1. He says, see what, what great love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children. And we are. We are God's children. He says, dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. Can you hear the, just the, the astonishment of the Apostle Paul, uh, excuse me, the Apostle John in those verses? John cannot get over the fact that we are God's children and that someday, very, very soon, we're going to see him face to face as he truly is. So in other words, we're not going to see God in a theophany, some outward display of his character. We're going to see God. We're going to see his complete being. Keep in mind when Jesus walked the earth, he emptied himself of his deity Philippians 2.7. So in other words, when, when, a born, uh, when a born again believer dies, his soul immediately goes into the presence of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he gets to see 
Jesus as he is, fully divine, fully human, or we would say even better, truly divine and truly human. And it's at that moment when, that, when, when the sanctifying process in our lives is done, we, we move to this glorified state. We will be given new bodies that are eternal. So in other words, when we take our last breath here on earth, we're going to be apart from this body instantly in the presence of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5.8. This means that when we look into the eyes of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, His presence at that moment instantly removes the remaining sin in our lives and our hearts are purified for the rest of eternity. The, the last book of Scripture, it gives us just the, you know, if you ever wonder what heaven is like, um, Revelation 22 gives just a hint of what this looks like. Revelation 22, 4, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will not need the light or a lamp or the light of the sun. Why? Because the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. So I, I want to end today's sermon by really kind of applying this beatitude in, in two separate ways. The, the first is what's called positional purity. The second is practical purity. Positional purity comes when you are born again. God has chosen you, you in return, you have responded to his grace. He has given you a new heart. You have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of Almighty God as a down payment for eternity with God. Your sins have been transferred. They have been imputed to the cross of Christ. And not only that, but his righteousness, his goodness, his purity has been transferred back to you or imputed back to you. So in other words, your position with God is the same as with God the Son. Jesus' holiness, righteous, righteousness, and purity, they are now yours. So from God's position, you are pure because of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. If you're born again, you are, a God's, you are God's son, you are God's daughter, and no one can take that away from you. Secondly, there's a practical purity in our lives. And this is where it gets a little tough, because practical purity is, is where we live out who we say we are in our position. So yes, we are positionally pure. But at the same time, God sanctifies us practically, daily. The Apostle John says it well in 1 John 3. He says, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So in other words, we are positionally pure. And at the same time, we are to strive for more purity in our personal lives. And to do this we got to join God. We've got to walk with God on a daily basis. Psalm 24.3 asks this question. The psalmist asks, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? And then he answers the question in verse 4. The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. That's who gets to stand in the presence of the Lord. 
So if you are born again, God has given you a pure heart. And at the same time, you're going to spend the rest of your lives cleaning your hands of the impurities of the world. Now, purity, it's not a popular topic today, is it? It's laughable. But let me share some ways for you to protect yourself and to protect your purity. Enemy number one to, your, to the purity of your heart is synchronism. Synchronism is one of the biggest problems of, with Christianity today. Synchronism is the mixing of all these impurities in the world, all these false religions, all these, these false beliefs into the grace of God. In our culture, it has never been easier uh, to be a synchronistic Christian because of all the technology that is available to us. Everybody has a microphone. Everybody has a social media page. Everybody has an opinion. So be very careful, guys, who you're listening to. It only takes a little leaven to leaven the whole lump. Enemy number two of, of your purity is entertainment. The more entertained you are by the world, the more you are going to look like the world. Why? Because the world is what's feeding you. You've heard the expression, you are what you eat. It's great advice from a nutritionist, right? But the same thing can be, can be said as well. It applies spiritually. You are what you think. And dear friends, it's impossible to have a pure heart when you spend a lot of time watching TV shows and listening to talk radio and, and watching movies or, or spending a lot of time on social media. All these mediums are selling you a false narrative. Guys, they're lying to you. Do you struggle with lust? Well, dear friends, stop watching these rated R movies and all these things that are highly sexual. You'll never break free from, from that if you keep feeding yourself those things. Do you struggle with coveting? Well, stop watching the commercials that are associated with those those lustful uh, TV shows and movies? Are you angry with political, the political situation in our country? <laughs> Stop watching the news. Stop watching the news. Are you fearful? Stop watching the news. Here's the key to purifying your heart. And let me tell you, this key, this is the price of admission for today, all right? This key is so super, so super spiritual. It is so profound. You're just going to be awed by the wisdom of this. You ready? Three words. Turn it off. Oh, for the love of God, I'm begging you to turn it off. Please. The Apostle Paul says this in Galatians 5.16. He says, walk by the Spirit. Listen to this. And you will certainly not carry out the desires of your flesh. How do we walk by the Spirit? We've got to turn it off. We've got to separate ourselves from this world that we live in. Self-control in this area is a fruit of the Spirit. 
Galatians 5.23. The Apostle James, he's a little bit more direct. I love the Apostle James. He gets in our face here. And it's almost like he grabs us by the shirt collar, looks into our eyes, and he says this, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? So whoever wants to be a friend of the world becomes, becomes an enemy of, the God, of God. So let me give you two suggestions here on how to pursue purity for your heart. You ready? Because these are super spiritual too. Number one, read your Bible. Stay in God's Word. Read God's Word consistently, preferably daily. Read God's Word consistently, preferably daily. And number two, commit to God's church. There are only two things that are eternal. There are only two things in this world that matter. God's word and God's church. God's church are the people that, you're sitting, that are sitting around you. If you want a pure heart, dear friend, please know you cannot do this alone. You were saved to serve. And one of the synchronistic lies of this age is that you can serve apart from the church. And that's not true. It's not. Lastly, for those of you who are perfectionist in life, let me give you a key point here. There's no such thing as perfect, practical purity. This is not about perfectionism. There's no such thing as perfect, practical purity. So in other words, don't try so hard. God has chosen you. He loves you. Enjoy the journey. Enjoy the ride. Stop trying to control your life and allow Him to, to reveal things to you. Allow Him to lay His hand on you and direct you and guide you. Amen? Amen. Father in heaven, you are so, so good to slow us down to take the Beatitudes verse by verse and to dive so deep into them to, to understand what it looks like to be pure in heart. And we just want to thank you that, that our position in you is that of purity. And we also want to thank you and praise you that we are still working out our purity, our salvation with fear and trembling. That we are to, to wake up every single morning and, and cling to you. You are so good to us, Lord God. Thank you for your grace and your mercy, your forgiveness through the, the cross of Christ. Show us how to be pure in heart this week. Show us other enemies in our lives. Show us how to turn these things off. Show us how to love one another. Show us how to distance ourselves from the world to fulfill the, the great commission. We've, we've learned your word verse by verse this morning, and now, Lord God, it's our job to go share Jesus day by day. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.